G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Almost every church has someone who leads praise and worship or a team of worshipping musicians. And in this digital age, the possibilities are bigger than ever for music teams to enhance their presentation with the best sound systems or the best lighting and special effects. But whether your church music is traditional or a full band on stage, there are some things that are always important for church praise and worship. Let's turn our attention to the heart and the art of worshipping musicians. Our privilege to glean some insights today from someone who's called a more-than-music mentor. A Grammy-nominated, Dove Award-winning recording artist, Grant Norsworthy, is joining us. Grant had radio hits with PC3, the Paul Coleman Trio, and with an outfit that were known as the forefathers of the modern worship revival, Sonic Flood. Grant Norsworthy, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you very much, Neil. It's great to be with you. Hey, Grant, just reflecting on your music career for a few moments, uh, you're a bass guitarist. Give us a little, in a nutshell, of your career so far and what's brought you to this point. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, it's a bit of a dangerous thing, asking a musician to talk about himself. Might talk too long, but might. I'll put it in a nutshell as best I can. I've, I've always loved music, and I wanted to make a career out of that, but I was also a follower of Jesus. Uh, raised in the Christian church and um, wanted to try and make music that hopefully pointed towards the worth of God, how valuable God is. And um, that led me to be in the band that you mentioned, the Paul Coleman Trio, PC3 for short. Now, we just celebrated our 25-year anniversary, the trio, with a concert down in Melbourne last uh, last Friday night. But we were together from about 98 to 2004, and with that band, I was able to relocate to the United States, Nashville, Tennessee, to be specific. And uh, we put out a couple of albums on an, on a you know global record label, and enjoyed a bit of a bit of success with that band. But the music was mainly for people to listen to. We weren't we weren't really crafting songs that would be suitable for a church service. They were telling stories about God or our perspective on God. Some of them were prayers to God, but quite personal prayers. And then uh, when the Paul Coleman trio broke up in about 2004, I stayed in Nashville with my wife, Brooke, and uh, I spent three years playing in the band Sonic Flood. But there was a difference. Sonic Flood, as you've mentioned, was known as being one of these bands that broke the quote-unquote modern worship revival. There was a change happening in music, and it was affecting, uh, and I say there was a change happening in music within the Christian church, and it's becoming more and more common to have drum kit, electric guitars, bass guitar, um, and a different style of music in this regular Sunday morning church services or any other time. Traditionally, I grew up with organ and piano and maybe some orchestral instruments, but uh, that big change was happening around the 90s, maybe early 2000s. Um, it was actually misnamed, I think, the Worship Wars. <laughs> it was a tough time. 
but uh, I, I enjoyed my time with Sonic Flood, but it was quite different. We were <laughs> projecting the lyrics of the songs on screens, and most of the lyrical content was actually inviting uh, the audience or the congregation to sing prayers to God. The, the songs were prayer lyrics, most of them, uh, as, as distinct from the Paul Coleman trio, which was more listen to us. The Sonic, Sonic Flood was inviting the people to sing with us. Um, yeah, Grant, so it was a slightly different thing. Two great outfits uh, that you had the privilege of being able to perform with, uh, PC3 and Sonic Flood, mm. and as you're indicating, around long enough to have seen some highs and no doubt some lows in there too, but when you talk about highs of a Grammy mm. nomination and uh, winning a Dove Award, those are significant accolades. Over all of those years, you'd have seen some changes. You were starting to to reflect on those changes, um, you know, just song lyrics uh, above you while you're yeah. playing your songs. That transformed the environment of the way people were actually thinking about praise and worship in a church environment, didn't they? Absolutely. And I, and I was there as I heard the word worship being used differently as well. You know, um, my mother... I'm sure, would think of worship, the word worship, as a noun. Worship is an event on Sunday morning. It happens at 11 a.m. But then a little later in my life, and I actually started attending more of a Pentecostal church where worship was now being used to to mean the music within the service. Um, And we started hearing terms like worship band, worship leader, worship song, worship service, worship experience. And even more recently than that, we have a term worship artist that I think is only a few years old maybe 10 or 15 years old. Um, and so as the, the word worship has been used differently, uh, I think we've seen a different understanding within the Christian church of what it means to worship God. Um, and I feel like I was part of that. But what it's left me realizing is I think there's a great deal of confusion in the church today about what it actually means to worship God. You know, We hear people saying things like, I didn't like worship this morning. And they might mean the band was a bit off or I'd like worship when they feel like the band sounded great or maybe they had a wonderful experience as the band played. That's an experience that they would say is uh, the presence of God. Um, So different people using the term quite differently from one another. You know, I was speaking to a guy recently and he said, I can't worship God unless I'm singing high. And I don't know, as I look at the Bible, Neil, I feel like the word worship is never used like that. It's not linked to music like we tend to today. Some of us, so it's a, like it's a bigger yourself, thing to worship God. Uh, some of us, like yourself, mm. might sound good when you're worshiping high or low, and others of us are just making a <laughs> joyful noise. Hey, when we talk worship, though, we could even broaden that, couldn't yeah. we? We can say worship is just turning up for the event. Uh, we could say it's the giving. We could say when we go beyond the church service, it's the acts of good deeds, good <coughs> works that happen around our lives. It could be worship even in the way that we interact with our family, with our community, even in our workplace. Our whole lives are a worship. But let's focus on, as you're saying, the way people try and define worship and say the worship as to what happens in that worship band or the worship leader at your church on Sunday. And defining what that worship's all about, because somebody has that responsibility. Sometimes it's the pastor. Sometimes it's someone who is a gifted musician or someone who at least can sing in tune. Let's get a focus on this. The heart of the musician who is actually leading the congregation in worship. How do you start to define that? 
Well, I actually have chosen, and, and this is just my story, Neil. I'm not telling your listeners they should change like I have. But a number of years ago, as I as I moved out of Sonic Flood, I decided to not use the word worship as an adjective. Um. Because terms like worship band, worship leader, worship song, and if you can see the video, <laughs> I'm using the rabbit ear fingers. That these terms, I think, use the word worship in a way that actually can confuse me. So, to me, to worship God is to show the worth of God. And as as you've said, we show the worth of God by offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. Romans twelve one tells us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And let that be our spiritual, reasonable, intelligent act of worship. So the chance to worship God is actually every moment of every day. And I actually think it puts too much pressure on a musician, too much responsibility on someone who happens to be able to sing in tune to feel like they are responsible for making a church congregation worship God. I would prefer to say it this way. Musicians, if you are given this responsibility of being in front of your home church congregation, your job is to invite them to sing. It is one of the ways we worship God. Worship doesn't start when you start that first song. It changes flavor. It changes emphasis. It changes method. We are now singing prayers to God or praises of God or declarations of truth about God together. And this is an important way of worshiping God. But actually, if we look at all of Scripture, God asks us to worship him in many ways. And perhaps the main way he asks us to worship him is by caring for the poor. So let's not let's not let this weigh us down too much. We are responsible for leading our home congregation, whether that be 20 people at a Salvos church or 2,000 people at a big, bustling Pentecostal church or anywhere in between. We are tasked with inviting these people to sing prayers to God praises of God, declarations of truth about God, and it is one of the ways we show the worth of God. These days, Grant, you say your main gig is a more-than-music mentor. Let's talk about what you might share into the heart of someone who is charged, and maybe they feel like they're on duty, and maybe they don't always have a great attitude to what they're doing when they're standing up and they're leading the musicians or leading the worship at their church. Uh, So what if we're on duty in worship? What does that look like, or what should it look like? Well, as I've tried to emphasize there, it's a, it's, it's a responsibility to lead our congregation to sing together songs that point us towards the truth of the cross of Christ. Um, that, that's, that's been the freeing thing for me. That's been my journey. I'm not there to pr- impress an audience. I'm not there to have people enthralled <laughs> by my singing voice. I'm not there to be uh, uh, scratching my own musical itches to play songs that I like and want to sing or play. Um, and I, it's very intentional, actually, Neil, that I've not used the word worship in the name of what I do, More Than Music Mentor. Uh, and you can find out more about that, by the way, at morethanmusicmentor.com. But I would like to communicate to us that we are there to choose songs that are appropriate and hopefully meaningful, uh, powerful even, for our congregation to sing together. Let's make sure the, the song lyrics are match the, the theological emphasis of the church we're, we're part of. Let's choose songs that are singable by Jack and Jill congregant, by the average people. And then let's use our instruments and our microphones, our sound system, 
the lyrics on screens or however we're projecting those or letting them be known to the congregation. Let's use all those things to make it as easy as possible for our congregation to join in and sing together. Let's be reminded that Ephesians 5.19, I think it is, tells us to sing together and to sing to God. Uh, this is an important expression of worship. So let's choose songs, not not to satisfy our own desires for music, but to serve our congregations, help them sing together. The person who is charged with leading that praise and worship in the church service, their maturity mm. grant, because they might be leading a team of others. So if you get it wrong when you're the leader, you're actually shaping your team badly. Getting it right as the leader actually creates, no doubt, a snowball effect of the way that you're going to be able to lead people as they sing and as they have that focus on the cross, as you're saying. So in some sense, the person that's chosen to be the worship leader (coughs) as an influence on the team that's growing, that's a really important role, isn't it? Yeah, certainly is. I I hope your listeners aren't hearing anything I'm saying as devaluing the the music and the singing the, the songs this time that we have called worship in our services my estimation of the importance and the value of us having music in our gather uh, in our gatherings is going up not down um so we we want to highly value this and yes that person who's charged with leading a team and leading the congregation this is an extremely important one uh a lot of the problems, a lot of the things that can trip a team up and a leader up are what I like to call what and how problems. You know, what songs should we choose? How should we play them? How should we sing them? What key should they be in? How loud should it be? Those, those are the sort of issues that often can make us stumble. But I think a good leader will clearly define for the team and the congregation the big reason why we have music in our gathering. And once we have agreement on the why then the what and the how get easier to solve. So, uh, and, and for me, the reason why is because the, the Bible tells us to sing together. We have these songs, we have these instruments, these microphones, the, the, the screens with lyrics. We have them because we highly value our congregation singing these songs together. When it all goes right, we might get on to when it all goes wrong, but when it all goes right and you are leading a congregation in worship, what do you think is happening in the heart of the leader, in the heart of the musicians, and then in the heart of the congregation? Because I guess, you know, when the planets align, you might say, and things are good and right, what do you think is happening in that worship experience? Well, uh, I I can't measure the human heart, Neil. I, I really don't know. Only God can see the heart. I I can't even assess my own heart, you know, and the Bible teaches me that, you know, that that I can't think that my heart is right with God. I want it to be. And and this is why I've I've chosen to focus on this goal of getting the congregation singing. I do believe that when we have a group of people, whether they be five or 55 or 5,000 people, when we get that group of people singing sincere prayers to God with hopefully some volume and some passion, then, yeah, other things are possible. We can get a stronger sense of God's reality, his love for us. We can have our theology improved. We can have a wonderful sense of community connection with one another. We can get a stronger sense of God's presence in the room or a stronger sense of 
of his Holy Spirit. These other things are possible and happen. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. But I can't control those. I don't make those happen. That's that's God's business. I can get the people singing. Now, with your more than music mentor, uh, the program that you run there, you're connecting with churches. I imagine you can connect with people anywhere in the world at any time of day. Is this the sort of thing you're aspiring to do in this new, you know, this is a new page you've turned over and how you can be a blessing to people who are leading worship. Uh, Is this something that you're working with people, even perhaps all over the world? Yeah, absolutely. I've been doing this for about, I want to say 15 years now. Uh, the the, The first chunk of those years was in the United States. And I live now in New Zealand where I've been doing this for the last four and a half years of living in New Zealand, where I go to churches and, and run workshops, core content workshops, which is a gathering of uh, singers, instrumentalist technicians from all styles of churches, flavors, denominations, musical competence levels, ages, uh, and also doing rehearsal workshops, which is when I go to a particular church venue and work with that church's team in their context and help them craft a sound that more warmly invites their congregation to sing. Uh, and I'm hoping to do more of these in Australia as well. It's a pretty easy hop over the over the ditch, as we say, and come and do it in Australia. Um, I'm actually doing some of this in Ballarat this coming weekend, some uh, More Than Music Mentor work. But yes, through uh, my website, morethanmusicmentor.com and the YouTube channel and the <coughs> Facebook page, I've got a lot of training videos and articles that I've written that connect with people all over the world. In fact, I'm privileged to be uh, one of the regular writers for a magazine called Worship Musician Magazine, writing for them once a month and also shooting some videos that go within the uh, online magazine. So, yeah, there's there's opportunities for me to do, to do this. Um, I think there's a great need for it, and uh, it's an exciting thing. I, I, I love doing it. I think it's what God's called me to do. Well, we're going to continue our conversation very shortly after news, and we're talking about the heart and the art of worshipping musicians. And our special guest, Grammy-nominated, Dove Award-winning recording artist Grant Norsworthy, and his ministry these days called More Than Music Mentor. We're back with more shortly. We're talking about the heart and the art of worshipping musicians with a special guest, a Grammy-nominated, Dove Award-winning recording artist, Grant Norsworthy. Grant had radio hits with PC3, the Paul Coleman Trio, that was formed way back in the 1990s. He spent time, too, with the outfit known as the Forefathers of the Modern Worship Revival, the outfit we know as Sonic Flood. He played bass 2005 to 2007. These days, he is the More Than Music Mentor. There's a website, morethanmusicmentor.com, and you can connect, too, with Grant Norsworthy. Grant, we were talking about what might happen when things go right in worship. Let's spend some time about what can go wrong when the worship leader is out of step with the team or out of step with the church or out of step with the pastor or out of step with their spouse at home. When things go wrong, I guess the heart of the worship leader is important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what What is the objective? When we have all this effort going into the music in our church gatherings, we have singers, we have instrumentalist instruments, we have a sound system, we're projecting lyrics. What is, what is the goal? And for me, what I typically bump into is there's not a clearly defined goal. 
the team might understand that that they are to lead worship, quote-unquote, that these are worship songs, quote-unquote, that worship starts at this particular time, typically on a Sunday morning, but needs to be done by this time. Um, we have a person called a, quote-unquote, worship leader. But I've found that if you say to a team the word worship in those terms, it actually breeds a lot of confusion. Um uh, for example, uh, I got a Facebook message from a, from a woman a couple of years ago, and she was saying she was very thankful. She brought her 16-year-old daughter along to an event that I, I led sung worship, and that's how I would say it. I lead sung worship. I don't – it's too much pressure on me to think that I lead worship. God, God leads worship. God connects with someone, and we become a worshiper. But I can lead singing as one of the expressions of worship. Anyway, this lady was saying she was so thankful because her daughter first worshipped at my event. And I asked her what she meant. And she meant that her daughter had closed her eyes during the songs and raised her hands. I was speaking to a friend a little while ago, and he was all bent out of shape. He's very involved in music, passionate about music. But he was saying, Grant, some of the songs my church are singing are just not worship. And I asked him what he meant. And he meant that some of the songs didn't refer to God in the second person you. He didn't like these songs that said, I will raise a hallelujah or I surrender all. Like, you can't have a song about yourself and have it be worship. Oh, we, we have so many misunderstandings, I think, about what it means to worship God. So you know, you've got this changing. Wor the worship of God is a whole life response. Changing the terminology might not be so easy, but I've got to say, Grant, it starts with someone like you identifying that there is a problem with the way we use that word worship. And I know that there'll be listeners who are going to take that on board and they're going to say, well, we need to change the way we talk about what we do at church because maybe we're using that terminology poorly, using it badly. Maybe we're only referring to what happens on the platform, on the stage with the musicians and the person who is leading the songs and not so much about yeah. what's happening to the people who are in the congregation. And that's where I suspect it's important to speak too into the hearts of people who are not the musicians, but what they're receiving when they arrive at church and there's music playing. Give us some insight here into some practical things, perhaps how to sing better in church. Right. And, and, and I think the first step is that redefining what it means to worship God, that to, to worship God is to show the worth of God and the opportunity to worship God is in every moment of every day. And Speaking about the heart of the worshipping musician, when we understand this full life response, this 24-7, 365 of worship, then what we do with our instruments, with our microphones, with songs, comes into correct focus. I think we realise it's actually more important than we, than we thought. Um, and after all, our mouths speak what our heart is full of. So let's, uh, the decision I've made anyway is to use the word worship to point me towards that full life response of worship. And that allows me then to move from there to this thought that, wow, getting everybody in this room, this congregation singing rather than listening or struggling to sing is really important to me. That's what the Bible teaches us to do, to sing together as an expression of worship, one of the ways we worship God. And so what I see is this uh, confusion in the team. One person thinks that they're there on the platform with a microphone because they love singing. And so they're trying to achieve that goal. I'm going to sing songs the way I like to sing them. Uh, someone else wants the congregation to have the same sort of experience that they had on Thursday when they were playing these songs in their own. They experienced something of God's Holy Spirit 
they had a sense of who he is more real in, in a more real way and they want the congregation to have that goal the, the sound engineer might be there trying to make it sound exactly like how the song sounded on spotify that's their goal you know the drummer's up there because he wants to get better at drums for his real band you know there's all these different objectives uh so i like to try and get to the team and say hey let's let's all agree on this goal let's get the congregation singing and uh, when we don't have that agreed objective that ball in the back of the net goal i call it we see things like people choosing songs that are not easy for their congregation to sing together maybe the range is too wide maybe that maybe the melody is too syncopated maybe that there's things about it that just make it incredibly hard for a congregation to sing i also see a lot where Teams are choosing a key for the song so that their leading singer, often called the worship leader, is able to sing it to the best in, in the range that they feel most comfortable in. But if you ask a high tenor guy to lead a song in their key, not many other people in the room can sing it with them. Uh, we, we see the sound being too full. Uh, we, we hear too much sound and the congregation's ears are being met by a sound that feels like a wall of sound, but we need to craft a sound that's an embrace of sound. Let the congregation know that we've left a gap in our sound for your voice, congregation. So there's a series of very uh, practical, I call them forehead slapping things that we can do. If we can agree that we want our congregation singing as an expression of worship, uh, then there are musical, technical, vocal things that we can change and make that happen much more easily. You know, in church, sometimes the volume is so loud that you can't hear others singing. Uh, perhaps you can't hear your own self singing. And uh, if you're not a great singer, maybe you're thinking, actually, that's pretty good because I can sing and no one's actually judging me and uh, telling me that I'm singing out of tune. Is it good to have the music that is louder than the congregation or, as you say, uh, making space in there so that you can actually hear the congregational voices? Is there something there that enhances the way that we are communicating with God, whether we can hear others who are participating so it's not just something we're doing on our own individually? Well, I understand this. I'm a, I'm a big fan of music and being loud, good loud, not bad loud. Uh, I'm a fan of a full sound, but context is everything here. I, I believe you can have a loud, uh, full performance of music and have it show the worth of God, but you will not easily get a congregation singing with that sort of sound, with that sort of volume level. Now, the loudest congregational singing, quote-unquote congregational singing, either it was at an Alanis Morissette concert in 1991, that was a loud sound. It was a full sound. But those 12,000 mainly teenage girls were such huge fans of Alanis Morissette. They sang every note with it. They sang every little uh that she does back then. You know, you can get a congregation singing if you are Alanis Morissette, if you are Freddie Mercury, if you are Phil Wickham, you can get a crowd singing with loud volume and with a full sound. But regular church... People who are perhaps not fans of yours in the same way that Phil Wickham's people are fans of his, we've got to make a different sound. We need to lean away from concert towards campfire. For most church situations, not all of them, but for most, I would say, if your Sunday morning congregation is less than 500, you better have a volume level low enough 
so that people can hear the person to their left and to their right and behind them singing. You've got to leave a gap in the sound. If you want your congregation singing, you need to craft a sound that suits that context. And, uh, yeah, Leaning people, people a, need that warm invitation. Away from the concert and towards the campfire for ordinary church. Hey, here's another one scenario for, for yeah. you. Okay, uh, how much scripture uh, compared to maybe clever things that might be said from the platform, the charisma of the leader that can actually cause people to really capture the moment and get involved in the singing. So scripture, charisma, what are your thoughts here? Oh, it's, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all, nor is it a one-size-fits-all for volume level. Uh, you've got to read your room. This is the important thing. You've got to know your context. Uh, how much scripture, how much speaking from the leader between uh, that will depend on the individual churches and the, the preferences, I think, of the leadership. This is a really important factor here. If you have someone who is charged with leading your congregation to invite the congregation to sing as one of the expressions of worship, they need to be under the authority of a senior pastor or eldership who should be making this clear how much speaking would be appropriate for this. But I like to think that that person who's charged with leading the congregation should have some words that at least make it clear that we are inviting the congregation to sing with us uh, rather than listen. We don't want the congregation thinking that this is like TV or some sort of gig. We want them to know that they are actually in the band, that their voice is an imperative of what we're doing here. And we can use some well-chosen spoken words to remind them of that. A, a, a well-spoken uh, Bible passage can be super useful, but I don't know that we want charged with that job, inviting the congregation to sing, to give another sermon. We've got a sermon coming probably after the music. What about this one, Grant? Uh, old songs, familiar, nostalgia, even times that are, are triggered uh, in the emotions of the heart versus those new songs <laughs> that are appropriate for a new generation. What are your thoughts here? Well, again, you've got to re read the room. It's not about copyright date for me. It's about what songs are going to connect. So this has been a, a wonderful, freeing thing for me, like a bag of rocks falling on the ground, a bag of rocks that I, I used to carry. You know, there can be this pressure. You've got to play the coolest, the latest. You've got to play the songs that are hip right now. I don't think like that now. I just think, well, what songs are going to help this group connect, whoever I'm in front of? Know, know your people, know your congregation, and balance novelty and nostalgia. Um, too many new songs can leave a congregation cold. That's one of the main reasons why people aren't singing. If they, if they don't feel like they know the songs, especially if they don't know most of them or even all of them, they won't be singing. So, uh, yeah, we've got to choose songs that are uh, the right balance of novelty and nostalgia for any given situation. And on the issue of spirituality, uh, some will say it's got to have a lot of scripture to be really a Christian song. Others will say there are new ways of writing lyrics. What are your thoughts here on the balance of having scriptural content uh, versus new and clever ways of, of writing lyrics? Yeah, and again, you've got to, you've got to realise that 
different people, <laughs> people are different from one another. Different congregations are different from one another. I would say that some congregations, some churches, primarily would see the reason for having music in our services is to teach our congregation correct theology. Their emphasis is knowing God through the songs. And then there are other flavors of the church that would say, we we want to have music in our church gatherings primarily so that we have an experience of God. You'll find that the people from that first group, the, the knowing God people, they want to have more lyrics, more words, deeper poetry, more scripture. They want to, they want to look at those words and and have their hearts and their minds pointed towards God. Um they will probably need to keep their eyes open. They'll probably need to be reading the lyrics. They'll probably need to stay cognizant in that moment. But people in that second camp, the people who want to have an experience of God, the sing it till you feel it people, they probably want to be able to close their eyes, not have their mind fully engaged. They want to be able to sing the same bridge over 18 times, and they're okay with it, even if the only word is Jesus, 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 over and over again. Those people might love that way of expressing the worth of God through songs. I'm a fan of both of those, Neil. There's a place for both, and it's not an either or. It's a both and, and this is the thing that breaks my heart is when people on one of those teams says, we're more worshipful than you are. Only God can measure what he finds worshipful, and I think the worship of God, as we've agreed, I think, happens way beyond our songs. So I, again, would like to choose the right lyrics, the right lyrical density for the group that I'm leading. Is this a group of people that I think would want to sing deep, rich, correct theology? Great, let's do mainly that. But I might give them a little taste of the other end too, the sing it till you feel it. And then if I'm in front of a group that are mainly sing it till you feel it, I might give them a little taste of some deep, rich theology too. You know, we can go really deep here. And uh, let me just take you in another uh, another step deeper. Music moves right, the mood it. and it moves the emotions. Uh, some will say, uh, even as a critic of church, uh, what church is doing could be considered manipulative. And, uh, of course, we'll call it uh, a leadership that happens, even in the leading of the music and the songs. But is there a goal in all of this, the preparation of the heart, so that people will be ready to receive something from God when the Bible is opened, and when the preacher begins to preach. What are your thoughts here about mood and emotions and and the responsibility of the person who is leading those songs because they are leading the congregation, aren't they, to a destination? Right, and the destination I'd like to think we're shooting for is a deeper connection with God and a deeper connection with each other. Let's understand something about music. The currency of music is emotion. The only reason anyone would, would, would resonate with any song is because they have an emotional response to it. Um, now, I would say that some individuals and even some congregations are, are more moved by emotions than others. And some are moved more by intellect, uh, by, by deep, correct theology and scripture. Um, but we are all being moved by emotion. My my uh, auntie, Auntie Beryl in Adelaide, she passed away earlier this year, and she was the church organist for years, years and years and years. And uh, she didn't like the drum kit when it came in. She was dead against it. Um, 
but she was deeply and emotionally moved by him. When when uh, we went to her home, and I wasn't there personally, but when the family went to her home, there were five different hymnals open in her home, each to one of her favorite hymns, one on the kitchen table, one on the bedside table, one on the dining table. They were all over the place, open to her favorite hymns. Don't think that because you're singing a lot of rich scriptural poetry that you're not being moved emotionally. Um, so when we sing fewer words over and over again and, and it's more hypnotic and repetitive, is that more emotional? I, I, I don't know. I just know that different groups of people are moved by different things. God can use emotions to draw us to himself. God can use our intellect to draw him to ourselves. It's Again, it's not an either or, it's a both and. And I, I'm sure I get it wrong, you know. <laughs> who, who can know? I, I, I know this much. I think it's actually much healthier for me to step on a platform, strap on my guitar, step in front of a microphone, and realize that I'm a faulty, sinful human. And I'm not going to get it right. But there is grace sufficient. And I'll just do my best to get this group of people declaring the truth of God together, singing prayers to him, singing praises of him, reminders of truth. As best I understand truth about God, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not pure, and it's okay. Well, it's a deep and profound thing when you say uh, your role as the person up front leading the songs is to just get that congregation to sing. We know there's so much going on. And when we talk about the heart and the art of worshipping musicians, uh, this is where you're at, Grant, as the more-than-music mentor. Uh, you do uh, and are open to having connection with uh, listeners today and in their own church context. And for listeners who want to be in contact with Grant, perhaps you want him to be a part of a music seminar or you want them to be a part of something that's happening as you're getting your musicians together, and in a way you want to be able to present what is a biblical, sound, and effective team to be able to get that congregation singing and worshipping God. The More Than Music Mentor website is morethanmusicmentor.com, morethanmusicmentor.com. There's also a personal website for grantnorsworthy.com and you might even want to look up PC3, the Paul Coleman Trio, or Sonic Flood and you might want to listen to some of those songs that have been made famous and that Grant has had a role and a hand in. Grant Norsworthy, just great getting your insights. I want to thank you so much for sharing your heart with listeners today on 2020. You are so welcome, Neil. Thank you for having me. Can I share a, a little couple of Bible verses before I leave? Yes, absolutely. All right. This is a slightly different translation to what people might be used to because I've switched out the word religion to the word worship. And it's intentional because the word religion doesn't mean what it used to mean. You know, we, we, we generally think of religiosity as being a bad thing, even listeners to vision. So check this out. This is James one twenty six and one twenty seven. If anyone considers himself a worshipper, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his worship is worthless. Because pure and perfect worship in the sight of God is caring for orphans and widows in their trouble and remaining uncorrupted by the world. That passage doesn't mention hymns or hillsong, doesn't mention, you know, emotional music or strictly correct theology, theological lyrics. It's nothing to do with music. The worship that God wants from us 
is to be compassionate towards those in need and to be, be obedient to him in every moment of every day. And that is worth singing about. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.